Okay, okay, okay. All right, so quick review. Now, where this is going to be the third part of our message today. Um, we have been working through this aspect of man's denial and God's revelation. Uh, over this three-part message, what we're seeing is the fact that um, Joshua has poorly dealt with the loss that they suffered at Ai. Okay? They had that defeat, and he's not handled it as he should. And what we found is the fact that it was a result of sin, in the camp, there was hidden sin that he had not addressed or even discovered. And what we saw was the fact in the way that he responded to that defeat and the way he's dealing with it is keeping them and perpetuating the problem. They're still in the mess that they were in the beginning. And we saw in man's denial the fact that he, first of all, shifted blame off of himself. He didn't want to look here. He also allowed his fear to determine his outlook. And then the last thing he did was he actually turned around and blamed and blamed God. So we look at that and we go, okay, well, that's what he did. Now, the problem was because he did that and he didn't take personal responsibility, this, again, is continuing their mess. And what's going to happen is because God loves him and he loves them, he's going to confront him. He's going to give him an ultimatum. And last week we looked at God's revelation, the first part of that. And we looked, there's five points that will be in God's revelation. The first two points that we looked at last week, first of all, that he addressed, he revealed his false humility. Okay, he revealed Joshua's false humility. And the next thing he did was he actually confronted his false narrative. In dealing with his false humility, what he was doing was, understand, Joshua had fallen down before God. Remember this? He was lying down before the ark. He put dust on his head. He's in a place of humility. Okay, this is that, that picture of being face down and having dust on your head is the picture of abject humility. That's when you come to God to hear from him. You don't come there with an insight. You don't come with them to, to share with him what you have on your heart. You come to say, Lord, I need to hear from you. I am seeking your face. The problem was that Joshua didn't have that in his heart. That wasn't why he came. He was literally running his mouth, complaining to God and blaming God while he was on his face. And what we recognized in that message two weeks ago was the fact that his position did not match his heart's intention. He was putting on a show. And we talked about the fact that you and I can do that in our Christian lives. We can play the part. We can do all that we do but not have our heart where it needs to be. Again, this is an aspect of humility. And what we saw was the fact that God, even in this moment, still displayed grace to him because guess what? Joshua is loved by God. Now, he didn't, didn't punish him in this moment. What he did was he worked to open up his eyes. And what did he say to him John, in Joshua 7.10? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Okay, you're on your face before me? No, no, no. Get on your feet. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? And we discussed last week that this, this act of God is, is driven by love. Because recognize the fact that God wants to get him out of his emotional state. God's trying to help Joshua to see what's going on. You've been overwhelmed by this circumstance, and I need to redirect you to back to what I called you to be. He's allowed his fear to overcome his faith. And what God's doing now is he's interacting with him to get him out of that. And we talked about the weakness that we have as humans to be derailed by our fears. By fears of the unknown. Fears of things that we can't control. And what happens when we find ourselves caught up in these moments, it can affect our decision-making process. It can shift our perspective on life. And what we realize is the fact that God wants us to have a close walk with Him. But see, when we have doubt and we have fear, what it does is it creates unbelief. And unbelief, what does it do? It separates us from, from God. So here we were created for this fellowship, and yet we find this division because of this aspect of this. So what happens, not only did God address His feigned humility, but He also then addressed His false narrative. Because recognize, Joshua believes that they are innocent. He's not assuming any blame. He's not putting any blame on his man. He's literally going, hmm, the only problem can be is God. 
It's got to be on him. And we've all been there before. We've all pointed fingers before at the Lord. But what we saw is the fact that at this point in time, Joshua, which is a good thing, Joshua stopped speaking. Initially, he was on his face rambling at God. But now he stops talking. And you know what's really wonderful about that? When you stop talking, you can actually listen. You know it's impossible to listen while you're running your mouth? You don't learn new things while you're sitting there, blah, 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 right? And we meet new people, but sometimes we want to just pour out. And God says, you know, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. We need to be really good listeners. If you're not a good listener, I, I, I am working on it. I'm not a great listener. My wife has been working on me. I mean, it's been 20, 30 years. I mean, it's been a long time. She's like, listen. <laughs> Slowly but surely, it's starting to impact me. But what we find is the fact that God confronts him. What does he do by breaking that narrative? Three words. Israel hath sinned. You believe you're innocent, but you're not. And in this statement, what's God doing? He's snapping Joshua out of his emotional state, out of his victim mentality, and he's redirecting him. He's shattering his false narrative and showing him, hey man, this is key. You must, you must listen. And we looked at this aspect of stop, of, of listening and having ears to hear. And we recognize the fact that, guess what? That is the very first step to restoration. In order to be restored to God, you must have ears to hear, a willingness. And this is true of salvation. This is true of rededication. And this is true of sanctification. Wherever you are in your Christian life, we must have ears to hear in order to be restored back to Him. So in our final part today, we're going to look at three final points. We're going to look at, first of all, that God's going to expose sin. He's going to explain the consequences of sin, and He's going to offer restoration in our message this morning, God's uh, man's denial versus God's revelation, part three. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. Thank you for your word, uh, Lord, for the way that you have spoken uh, through it. God, thank you for, through the millennia, speaking to the hearts of men uh, through this miraculous uh, word. Thank you for protecting it, preserving it for all these years, and Lord, helping it to be just as alive today as it's ever been. Thank you that we can look into Joshua's life and learn so much about ourselves. Lord, I do pray that you help us have ears to hear today. Lord, help us, uh, Lord, to uh, be receptive to what you'd have. God, you know I've prayed and I've asked you to speak to me, and Lord, I believe that you have, and I'm asking you, Lord, please, 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 help me to get out of the way. Lord, help you to speak not only to me, but then speak through me. That, Lord, the words we would share today would be the ones that you would have. You pick and choose. If there's something I'm going to say that's wrong, God, please take it out of my mouth. And I pray that you'll speak to us each one in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Joshua 7, verses 8 through 12. It says, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, and shall environ us around, and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except you destroy the cursed from among you. So Joshua, as he stands here before the Lord, having been called out, he's all ears, dude. He is about, he's like, God's got his undivided attention. And as he has his undivided attention, he's going to peel back hidden sin. Here he's going to expose sin. He says in verse number 11, Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also. They have put it even among their own stuff. This is what you have allowed 
to happen, Joshua. Israel hath sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant when she commanded them. He's saying, look, they have defied my word. Joshua, they're defying my word. On top of that, for they have even taken of the accursed thing and have stolen. They've stolen from me, by the way. And guess what? They've also, and it says, and dissembled also. Dissemble means to deceive. And they've also tried to deceive me, Joshua. And guess what? And it says, and they put it even among their own stuff. And they've tried to hide it from me. This is what's going on. You want to know what's taking place? This is what's happening. And it's exactly what I warned you about back before Jericho. Think back, Joshua 6, 18. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. And I would say right now, they are troubled, wouldn't you? They're freaked out. Why did God warn them? Because He knows human nature. He knows how we function. Can you imagine as Joshua's hearing this laid out to him, how this would have just been changing his heart. The pride and the self-assuredness that he laid down with to complain, I would imagine, has been eradicated as he's now standing on his feet, humbled and ashamed. Wow. God, I, I hear you. I hear you. And what's interesting is the fact that we think back to what Jesus said about how pride the impact that he'll have on pride, the impact that God has on pride. Luke 14, 11. For whosoever exalteth himself, lifts himself up as prideful, shall be abased, humbled. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Listen, pride is humanity's kryptonite. It is our biggest weakness. We all fall prey to it. It is amazing that even the Word of God can be a source of pride. You can say, man, I want to learn the Word of God. I want to learn the Word of God. I'm going to study, 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 study. And what's amazing is we can gather this incredible knowledge and start to think something special about ourselves because we have knowledge that others do not have. And the very thing God gave us to humble us can literally, because of our silly, ridiculous humanity, we can take the Word of God and actually allow it to make us proud. Humility is the key. God works through humble people. Prideful people don't have ears to hear God. God is changing Joshua's perspective in this moment. And recognize, pride was Achan's problem. Pride was Joshua's problem. And it is just as much our problem today. It's important to recognize that pride is the root and the source of all sin. This is why Joshua is where he is. What does sin, what does pride do? It cuts people off from God's influence. Now, this is certainly true of lost people. Someone who does not have a relationship with Christ, oh my goodness, their pride does not allow them to turn to God. They don't need God. They have all the answers. But see, also for the saved, children of God, that same pride, what does it do? It causes us to want to fulfill self over fulfilling what God wants. Okay, if we look in 2 Timothy 3, 4, it finishes this way. It says, men will be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Notice that it does not say that they don't love God. Right. They love God. They just happen to love pleasures more. Hello? Sound familiar? Yeah. Sound like our world today? And the very thing, the sweet fellowship that God created us for, because we're all messed up and we're chasing after the wrong things, the pleasure or the, or the fellowship is missed. How many Christians today have fallen in love with pleasures? We live in a world of just absolute excess. 
food, clothing, all the Amen. trappings of the world. Amen. Go online for five minutes. Watch some videos. All it is is trappings, 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 trappings. Stuff, things, stuff. The pleasures of the world. Mm -hmm. And these people don't not love God. They love God. They love God. They just love pleasure more than they love God. And see, that's the problem with most of us. We love God. I'm not saying you don't. But I'm telling you, I struggle with the same thing. Pleasures. Our flesh wants what it wants. That's right. And when we go into the book of Rome, uh, Revelations and we look in chapter number 2, there's a church called Ephesus. And man, it's a faithful church. I'm talking a faithful church. But listen to what God says in Revelations 2, verses 2 through 4. He says this, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Look, you don't allow sin around you. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. You're willing to confront false teaching. You are hard. You're standing for God. And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. You guys have been dedicated. You've worked hard. You've given yourselves to me. You've served me. Your life, your life reflects Christ. But verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You look the part. You speak the part. You come to church like you should. You pay your tithes like you should. You're in your Bible like you should. You pray like you should. But are you doing it because I'm your first love? Are you doing it because you're trying to convince yourself or other people? Or are you trying to convince me? The point is this. God's saying, look, you must love me. God wants our hearts. That's what this is all about. People have a problem giving. You know what the problem is? It's not a giving problem. It's a heart problem. Mm -hmm. Someone that loves God will give themselves. They'll be on time. They'll do what the God requires of them or God asks of them. They'll look for ways that their life can serve others. They look for a way that they can share the gospel of Christ with someone who's out there who's lost and broken. Our hearts are broken for people that are hurting. But when we're lovers of pleasures, we see ourselves. Mm -hmm. We go out into the community. We're worried about how the community impacts us. Not about how we impact the community. Amen. We lose sight of why we're here. And God wants our hearts. And see, pride separates us from Him. And you know what pride eventually manifests itself as? Sin. Ultimately, that's where it goes. And see what's happening. God's exposing Joshua's hidden sin. Why is He doing it? It's a gift. It's the greatest gift God could ever give Joshua. Amen. And do you know that's the greatest gift that God can give us? Amen. To take things that we want to hide, that we don't want to address, that are poisoning our relationship with God. Mm. And when God brings them to the surface, it allows us to deal with them. John 3, verses 19 through 20 says this, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. They don't want to face the truth. Neither come to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. They don't want to face it. And you know what the devil does? Oh, man. He convinces them that in the darkness, where he wants to keep people, that their sin is hidden from God. Yet the Bible tells us something different. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Right? And he says, Beholding the evil and the 
good. He sees it all. God looks straight through the darkness. He's like Superman with x-ray vision, dude. He's going to see straight. I don't care if you're behind lead or what you're behind. Boom, he's going to see it. God sees it all. Personally witnessing our sin. The Lord looking and seeing it as His light shines into the deepest crevices of human hearts to reveal who we really are. John 12, 46 is this, I came, I am come, a light in the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Notice it doesn't say will not. It says should not abide in darkness. When someone's lost without Christ, listen, (laughs) the sin that's in their life and their pursuit of sin, as destructive as it may be, guess what? It's all they have. It's their only hope. They're seeking after what they think is going to be the solution, and it never, ever, ever pays off. And think about this. Darkness, what does it bring? Confusion. God bless you. It brings no clear direction. Think about this in John 11, verses 9 through 10. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. Simple, straightforward. He's talking about daytime. Verse 10, but if a man walk in the light, walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a little word in here that's a little weird. Notice this part right here. Did you notice what it says at the very end of verse 10? But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth. Now the first one was talking about, we go, okay, that he's talking about the sun. But verse 10 ends this way, because there is no light in him. God's giving us a spiritual example. There is no light in him. That's why he stumbles in the darkness. A lost man who walks through this world stumbles through life trying to find answers. He has no light. But a Christian who's in the dark, it's by choice. It's by choice. We allow sin into our lives. It is by choice. God's telling us that this does not, the dark does not have to have an impact on us. When we're in the darkness, what does it do? Because guess what? As it seeps into the life of a Christian, man, people become hopeless. No matter how hopeless it may appear, I'm just telling you, God's saying, listen, we need not experience the darkness. That doesn't have to be our story. John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And though darkness is very prevalent in our world today, it does not have to affect us. We don't have to live in it. 1 John 1, 7. But if, it, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. So if we're not actively working on our relationship with the Lord, shifting our dependence off of ourselves and onto Him, what happens is, guess what? The darkness starts to creep ever so slowly into our life. And along with it, comes confusion and hopelessness. And if it's not addressed, sin. This is where Joshua is. right? This is where Joshua and the Israelites are. So what does God do? He shines light into the darkness, revealing hidden sin. Listen, Achan through his actions, what has he done? He has proven that he is a lover of pleasures more than a lover of of God. Hey guys, he went and fought just like everybody else. He followed. He did everything he was supposed to do, but there was that issue of the pleasures that he just couldn't avoid. Aiken's just like us. Has a hard time getting his eyes off off the world. And because of this, there's suffering all around him. 
Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8 says this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So the principle was true for Achan, sowing and reaping. Guess what? It's equally true today. That principle has not changed. It is a standard that God established that has not changed. So God brings hidden sin out of the darkness and into the light so that it can be dealt with. Listen, for the unsaved person, you've got to realize you're lost in order to get saved. If you don't see your sin and see it for what it is and realize there's accountability to God, you're not going to realize the fact that you need a Savior. But what happens is God uses the law. God uses the Ten Commandments. I look at those Ten Commandments and go, man, I can't do that. Thou shalt not lie. Man, I, I lied. Bear false witness. All the, as I look at that list and I go, man, I can't do that and I can't do that and I can't do that. The, the law is not there as a standard for us to try to live by. Yes, it affects us and guides us, but what it's ultimately for is to show us that we need a Savior. That's why the law exists. Romans 3.20 says this, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. No one can keep the law. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law was given to show us that we are lost. That we need a Savior. So understanding we're a sinner and we're accountable for our sin is the very first step to coming to Christ. Someone doesn't know they're lost, they can't get saved. And understand, it's through revealing hidden sin in the life of a believer that the fellowship which has been broken can start to be restored. Take note that God doesn't point out who it is. He doesn't tell them it's taken. He just tells them that Israel hath sinned. Because you know why? Achan needs to look within. Achan needs to take personal responsibility and say, look, I'm going to find this. I'm going to delve in. I'm going to reveal this sin. Because recognize, it's not, God's, it's not God's job to deal with sin in our lives. He helps bring it to the surface, but we must deal with it. It's Amen. our responsibility. Right. Notice this in James 4, verses 8 through 10. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Double-minded. We've got our eyes on the world and our eyes on God. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and to your joy to heaviness. He's telling us to listen. Look and see your sin the way God does. The thing that used to be funny is no longer funny anymore. Look from God's perspective. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Humble yourself. That's what we're seeing with Joshua right now. He's a picture that we see ourselves in. God's describing the path of restoration. This is the one that Joshua and the Israelites are on right now. And you know what's so cool? Thankfully, he doesn't stop there. He goes a little further. He explains the consequences of sin. Are you guys with me? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Some of you guys look very tired. Please, pinch your inner thigh. Do something. Stick with me. This is good stuff. I need you to be ready for Wednesday. All right. So he's not going to stop. Number two, explain the consequence of sin. Verse 12 says this, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand. This is the consequence of sin. They could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore. So the Lord's shifting Joshua's perspective on their defeat. He's changing the way he thinks. He's allowing, understanding the destructive impact of hidden sin. Listen, they are in the midst of suffering, and it's all tied back to one act of disobedience. Okay? Verse 12, Therefore, this is the reason the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. It was that sin. And this points back to the principle of sowing and reaping. 
that we saw in Galatians 6. That verse 6-7 says this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Notice it says, that shall he also reap. Can I tell you, this is something we have to get a hold of. This principle is true in our lives. So many times, as believers even, we tend to disregard this principle or this idea. And the reason why is because many times when we sin, there's not an immediate reaction. There's not an immediate uh, result. There's not a consequence that comes right on us. But we have to understand the concept of sowing and reaping. Right? When we think about sowing and reaping, okay, how does it actually work? If I have a kernel of corn and I plant this kernel of corn in the ground, I don't stand back and just be like, any minute. We're going to be eating good, kids. Don't worry. Corns are almost here. Wait on it. No. It doesn't come in an hour. It doesn't come in a day. It doesn't come in a week. It's like 14 days before it even breaks the surface. You know how long it takes for a kernel of corn to actually give you corn? Four months. Four months. And we think sowing and reaping. So what we plant, what we sow, doesn't give the immediate response and so what happens is because there's that long time period, we're like, well, there's no problem. Huh, I can sow all I want, and guess what? There's no end result. It's not going to impact me. But also another factor to consider this is when we plant one kernel of corn, when it finally reap it, do you get one kernel of corn back? You get hundreds. Guess what? We sow, we reap more than we sow. That principle, why does God show it to us in nature? Why does he use that example? Because we can recognize and understand it. Listen to how it's talking about that man. He says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so we look at that and we go, Okay. Recognize God designed the physical world. And He uses it constantly in Scripture to teach us. All the time. You know why? Because we can see... We can touch and we can easily understand the physical world. And God says, you know what? Because it's so hard to understand the spiritual world that you cannot see and that you cannot touch and you cannot easily understand, I'm going to make my world, my physical world, match the same way the spiritual world works. So when you see this example here that you can grasp, you can go, oh, oh, okay, I got you. I see where we're going. Why do you think he's constantly speaking in example after example after example after example? It's because it says, hey, I designed it all to work together. So when I tell you this principle and you understand that when you go to your field and you plant one seed and you get a whole lot more back, that when you plant into your life something wicked, guess what? There's wickedness that's going to come into your life. You're going to live with the results of this. And what happens so many times because we have maybe been saved for a while, we forget about the consequences of our sin from our past. We think suddenly it's just, it's just all gone. Listen, does God wipe away our sin? Do we have a sin debt? No. But are the consequences of sin, do they still exist? Do we have scars from our choices? If somebody lived their life as an alcoholic and they drank and drank and drank and drank and drank and they destroyed their liver, guess what? Is their liver still destroyed? Yes. They poured into their flesh and they reaped corruption. God loves us. Does He give grace? Oh, my word. Does He give grace? But we look at this beautiful picture. Why is God revealing the sin? Why is He showing the consequences? To teach them, hey, be careful. Be mindful of what it is that you're doing. Because remember what it said in Galatians 6-7, be not deceived. Don't fool yourself that this isn't a real principle. This is how it works. And believe it or not, 
Your actions, every single action, positive or negative, it is going to impact your life. It is going to be shown up in your life. Verse 8, he continues. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. There will never be a time when our choices won't affect our future. That's just the way it is. And when it comes to sin, let me just tell you, big or small, it is going to impact us. One of the things I'm definitely going to tell you, it's going to impact your relationship with the Lord. Immediately impact your relationship. Because remember what he said back in verse number 12? Neither will I be with you anymore. Joshua, we used to be walking in perfect fellowship, but because there's sin that you have not addressed, we no longer have that fellowship. Do you know why? Because God doesn't have fellowship with unrighteousness. The ultimate picture of this is the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. When Christ bore the sin of the world in His body, the fellowship that He and the Father had had for all of eternity had to be broken in that moment. And in His flesh, He hung there separate. He hung there individually. Listen to what He said in Mark 15, 34. This gives you the extent of what Christ did for us. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. He yelled, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In his humanity, he hangs there with the guilt of every horrific sin that's ever been committed on his heart. Innocent. Never experiencing it. That is the ultimate picture of love. And it's in that moment of agony that we can see that God says, hey, I cannot have fellowship with sin. And the very fellowship with his own son had to be broken because of sin. His own son. So if it had to be that way for him, guess what? It has to be that way for us too. As we're living in sin, making bad choices, we are affecting our relationship with God. We're impacting the way we walk with Him. It separates us. Now this does not mean that we lose our salvation. That's not what this is about. This impacts our relationship with our Father. Recognize the fact that if I was my Father's son, there's nothing I can do to change that. I have John Philip Goodson's blood in my veins. And no matter how much I may want to change that, no matter how much he may want to change that, it ain't going to change. I'm his son and he's my dad and that's just the way it is. Now if I'm a terrible son, he might want to trade me out. (laughs) But he can't just go, okay, let me just sign you off. Let me get another son. That's if you believe you can lose your salvation, that's what you're telling me God would do. It's the blood of Christ that, bears, that, 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 that pays our sin debt. Amen. The blood of Christ is in me. Amen. right? We are sons and daughters of God. Mm. There is no point in time where I can do something so wrong that God's going to go, okay, I'm done. That's right. You're no longer my child. No, but you know what? With me and my dad, if he told me to do something and I completely disobey him, am I going to be no longer his son? No, but our relationship's going to be impacted. Yep. And whose responsibility is it to make it right? Yours. Mine. All he asks me to do is be obedient. And if I'm disobedient, guess what? I'm the one that's affected the relationship. And he may stand right there with his arms wide open, but there's still a distance because it's nothing, it hasn't been resolved. But boy, oh boy, we go to him and we say, God, Dad, I want to make things right. I know I've been wrong. How many of us have been there? You fall before the Lord and say, Lord, you know what? Amen. I've blown it. 
would you forgive me? Truly with my whole heart. I want to address this issue in my heart. And God, I want to make it right with you. I don't want to have any issues between us at all. I want to be resolved. The prodigal son, the picture of the prodigal son. Why is that such a beautiful picture? Because the father, the Bible says when the prodigal comes back, the father saw him. Meaning that he was looking for him. Amen. That's the heart of God. When you're out in the world and you're living in sin, the world, Christ is looking for you. God is looking for you. And He said, I want to be restored. Come, come, come. And He sees Him. And when He comes, you know what's so awesome about that story? The best part of that whole story is when the son starts to lay out his case. God, well, Dad, this is it. And then the dad's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need to hear all that. I can tell by the way you came back. You're, you're good. You've been humbled by the world. You know what? When you're eating that slop... In that pig pen, you were on your face before me. You were surrendered, and you were willing to come back to be a servant. But you know what? You're not a servant. You're my son. What a beautiful picture. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation is in time past in the lusts of our flesh. This is our lost world fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. This is where we come from, all of us. But God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us even when we were dead in sins while we're in the depths of the darkness hath quickened us together with Christ by grace he is saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, made us sons and daughters of God, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Notice this, for by grace are you saved through faith. Our salvation is through faith in him and not of yourselves, not your lineage, not your bloodline, not your race, not your creed, nothing. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Guess what? If it's a gift... You don't pay for a gift. You don't work for a gift. If I made you do 20 push-ups for a gift, it ain't a gift. Right? Yet people believe that they're going to lose their salvation, but it says it's a gift. A gift comes freely to the receiver. It costs the giver. The picture of Christ on the cross, it cost Him everything to give us a free gift that we receive. Beautiful. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why did He create us? Unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be walking in fellowship with our Father. Amen. And listen, as He lovingly explained this consequences of sin to Joshua, man, recognize if we're lost, this means an eternity separated from God. You can believe in God all day long. You can say, well, I'm a religious person. No, I don't care what it is. You either have Christ or you don't. Right. You know in your heart right now if you have Him. Right. You may have been playing games for years. I have no idea. You may have said a prayer when you were five years old and said, oh, I remember praying. This ain't about a prayer, man. This is about a heart that's been changed. God, when the Spirit of God comes in you, He changes you. Ooh, yes. So today, if it confronts you yeah. and you're lost, man, recognize it before the time is too late. Because if you leave this world and you're lost, you will be lost forever. There is no hope. There's no redemption. There is no Catholic purgatory where you're going to get prayed out or paid out. When you're gone, you're gone. And by grace, God is offering you salvation. He loves you right where you are with everything that's wrong. He sees it all. And yet He loves you through it. And He says, you know what I want to do? I want to restore you. Man, if we're like Joshua separated from God right now, the good news is he tells us next.
an offer of restoration. Verse 12. Except ye destroy the accursed from among you. We know the accursed is Achan. It's a man. He says, destroy him. Uh, and we hear this, we go, okay. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? It says, destroy it. Couldn't we just kind of maybe just, just confront it and maybe have a harsh word and a promise to never do it again? Couldn't we just maybe do that? What about offering some grace in this situation? What about maybe be a little bit more forgiving? Okay, this is important to understand. Remember the Old Testament is a historical record of actual things to teach us New, De- New Testament truths. God pictures us in the Israelites. Okay? So if we're a picture of the Israelite, this is a, a, the body, this is representing an individual who's got a hidden sin in their life. And God's saying, you need to destroy it. Now, why would that be the case? Why would that be the case? Recognize, again, I'm going to give you an example to prove it to you. How do we know that God uses all this stuff as an example for us? How are we supposed to look at this Old Testament truth and realize that it's designed to teach us? 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 6. Listen to what he says. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all your fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Okay? We saw a picture of salvation as they came in the Exodus. They came out of Egypt. And guess what? When they went through the Red Sea, guess what it's a picture of? Baptism. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. Guess what? And that rock was Christ... Verse 5, but with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. That is an understatement if you ever heard it. <laughs> he, said, he says, but with many of them. Do you know that there were 603,550 men over the age of 20 that went into the wilderness? You know how many survived? Two. That's a lot. Verse 6, now these things, listen, now these things, what I just told you about the story of the Israelites, were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Learn from the example I'm giving you in Scripture. They represent us. So here's Achan picturing the impact of sin, one single sin, one area of concession, and the way that it impacts the body. God gives an example of leaven in the Scriptures. Leaven is like, what's that stuff called? Yeast. Sorry, I got it for you. Um, And you put a little bit of yeast in the bread. It doesn't just raise up in one little corner. The whole thing's impacted. And he warns about that. He talks about, listen, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, lump, he says in Galatians 5, 9. There's the danger. And you've got to realize, if we give you an example of something we can visualize in the picture in the world today, sin is like cancer. Okay? Sin is like cancer. We don't go to the cancer and say, look, you know what, I just need to isolate it. I just need to recognize it. We just need to keep it under control. No, what do we do? Eradicate it. Eliminate it. Destroy it. Because if you don't, it's too much of a danger to the body. Our friend Mark Trotter, today is his birthday. He would have been 65 years old. But guess what came into his body? Cancer. Just one or two cells in the beginning. But they took his life. And recognize the fact that this is what sin does to us. It is like cancer in the body. It destroys. It brings death. It brings destruction. It impacts our families. It impacts us. It impacts our our relationship with God. And because it's such a danger, it must be destroyed. 
We don't just compartmentalize it. We deal with it. When God brings it to the surface, you don't go, I'm never going to do that again. No, remember, when we do that, guess what doesn't work? How many of us have said, you know, we've made a vow, look, I am never, ever doing that again. Yeah. Only to live with the regret of having broken our vow. Sometimes the same day. Gracious. <laughs> and that's what he's saying. Unless you deal with this and destroy this, it's coming back. Just so you know. It's coming back. Because guess what? Our will will fail. Our intestinal fortitude will fail. You know why? Because those are all impacted by our emotions, by our circumstances, and our perspective. It is only through the power of God. As that song was talking about, I surrender all. Amen. It's only through surrendering to the Lord and allowing God's power to work that we can be set free from the power of sin. If you're in the grips of sin right now, you will not defeat it. I'm just telling you right now. You may hide it or you may keep it hidden for 20 years, 30 years, but I'm just promising you, it is reaping in your life and it is going to bring corruption. Deal with it now. Deal with it now. Dress it in your heart, in your life. Bring it to the Lord and surrender it to Him. First John 5 verses 4 through 5 says this, for whatsoever is born of God, this is talking about a believer, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. God is telling Joshua to destroy the accursed from among them. And that's what he's telling us to do as well. Because listen, the only way we're going to translate our defeats into victories is by doing that very thing. This is the linchpin for the change in Joshua's life, for the victories that are to come. It's only through the power of God. You will not defeat it on your own. But if you surrender to Him, He can eradicate it, eliminate it, and destroy it. It's through God. Over the last three weeks, man, God, we have witnessed the Lord patiently redirecting Joshua uh, through this failure. And what is he doing? He's doing all of that in order to bring him to a place where victory will be his story, right? And can I tell you that that's what he's trying to do for us. Listen, if we have defeats in our life, the pathway to future victories is through addressing our own failures. Let's recognize where we've dropped the ball. Let's recognize where we failed. Let's learn the lessons that God has for us. Listen, our failures are not about self-loathing and condemnation. It's to teach us. Learn. Change. Grow. Go forward. And if we will listen and we will learn from our mistakes, when we face failures, we won't shift blame. We won't allow fear to, uh, to, 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 uh, to, to establish our narrative. We won't blame God. And what's so cool about this is the fact that when we come to the Lord and we have ears to hear for the first time, instead of pointing fingers, we're listening, seeking guidance and insight. You know what He'll do? He'll show us. That if we'll come to Him in humility, with a willingness to hear the truth, a willingness to experience and recognize our sin, to understand the danger that it poses to us and to our families, oh man, <laughs> and we'll finally deal with our sin. We'll finally bring it to Him. You know what He'll do? He'll work like we cannot do the, do the things that we cannot do. See, instead of hiding our sin, God brings it to the surface and helps us to address it and deal with it. And the wonderful thing about God is we don't have to do it by ourselves. We can surrender it to Him. Amen. And a life of defeat can become a life of victory. 
And what's so awesome about that, a life of victory glorifies God. It's why we're here. It's our purpose. And then, well, guess what? The life God's given us can make an eternal difference. Suddenly, we start to impact the planet around us. Instead of worrying about just us being pleasers, pleasers or lovers of pleasures, we become a lover of God. And the pleasures have less impact and less draw. And the things that we used to burn for make us sick today because we see things differently. Remember how Galatians 6, 8 ends. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Listen, God has us here at this time in this world so that you and I will impact eternity. That we will live a life of victory. And you know why? Because that life of victory reaches the lost world through the way we live our life, through the things that we say, and through the surrender they see in our life. That's what this victory is all about. It's about restoring what's been broken. It's about healing what's been destroyed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Victory or defeat. Listen, it will be determined not by coming and hearing a message, by whether or not we apply it. That's why Wednesday is important. You can leave here today going, man, that was good, and never make a change. Or you can learn how to use it and make your life that one of victory. Because I can promise you this, defeat is everywhere. Most Christians live in defeat. People that are victorious are few and far between. How wonderful if we had a church full of victorious Christians that were making a difference. It's up to us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I ask God that you do work in us. Listen, if you're here today and you say, look, pastor, I want to be victorious. I have been defeated too many times. I'm ready. I'm ready to be victorious. I want, to make my, want my life to make a difference for the cause of Christ. Right now, I am in a battle. Pray for me. Pray for me that I will get the victory, not through me, but through him. If that's you, amen, I see that. Hey, anybody else? Say, look, pray for me. I'm in a fight. Amen, I see that. Hey, anybody else? Listen, I'm in the... Yeah, amen, 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 amen. Listen, the battle is real, and it's raging, but victory is just on the horizon if we give our hearts to Him. Amen. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed, look, if you're here today and you say, look, I don't know where I stand with God. I don't know if I'm truly saved. Listen, Christ died on the cross to pay the price for sins that you could never pay for. Because if you do, you will be separated from God for all eternity. He loves you right where you are. When He was on that cross, He saw you in His mind's eye looking into the future. And when you today felt that draw of God calling your heart, all you have to do is respond. It's not a magic prayer. It's not a ceremony. It's nothing like that. It's nothing more than a broken heart that says, God, I need you. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That is how we get saved, just by surrendering our heart to Him, saying, God, I need you. And if He's calling you today, you're watching online, you're watching this recorded, recognize God as He calls you. All He needs you to do is respond. The gift, as we spoke about, that free gift has been paid for in full. 
to receive it as a free gift to you. But you have to choose. God will never force it upon you. It's your choice. Live with Him or live separated from Him. The choice is ours. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, you know He's talking to you. I'm going to lead you in prayer. It is not the words of the prayer that will do anything for you. This is a surrendered heart calling out to God. He's not looking at anything about this. This is you and Him. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. In your heart, you can talk to Him right now. And I'm going to lead you in prayer. Talk to Him and just bear your heart. He's waiting on you. Repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I understand the accountability that I have. Lord, that I will pay a price being separated from you for all eternity if I don't receive you. And right now, by faith, I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you my life. I'm surrendering myself to you. By faith, I receive you as my Savior. Lord, come into my heart. Come into my life and save my soul. I thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed.